Welcome to the journey of an aesthete, a comprehensive examination of all things aesthetic, the arts, the humanities, and what it means to be human. We've got Emily. I'm really happy uh, for you to join our podcast, Journey of an Esthete. Um, this Thank is, you. This Great is, to be I here. Make, I want to make sure I pronounce your last name correctly. It's Emily Broccoli, correct? It's Brakale. Brakale. Oh, I'm incorrect then. Okay. So Emily Brakale. Um, I'm glad I got that. Got this. Always, always want to get people's names correct on on our podcast. So Emily Brakale, um, you have sent me two beautiful books. And um, on account of those books and also some connections going back to Interlock, and you are a guest on the show, mm. I have many different types of guests on our show. We've had you know, musicians and singers and, and even um, therapists, and we've had people working in wellness, and we've had um, you know, filmmakers and all kinds of people. Um, some of the people I know personally, some of them I don't know so well. I, I think I know you through Jackie, correct? Yeah, yeah, I'm... Fellow classmates. Fellow classmates. At Interlochen. Interlochen. So I, I would like, if you don't mind, um, to spend, not, not necessarily this second, but we can spend a few minutes on, on, on the Interlochen, the meaning of Interlochen for you or, or us, and talk a little bit about that because, you know, I've had other Interlochen alumni on the show, and, uh, but then we'll, we'll dive right into your, um, your extraordinary um, work um, in the limelight in um, the last six months. Or the two books Thanks. that I have in front of me, and I, you know, I just got these books this week, and I devoured them, and um, and we're gonna dive into it. But uh, you know, d um, typically on on my show, I like to do a little biography, if you don't mind. So, uh, if you go back into your sure. past and give me a sense of how you came to be the person that did these these really um, great illustrations in these books. Um. I think from an uh, inside point of view, I can say that um, I was raised in a family of artists and teachers and art teachers. And so a big part of my training and interests and, and personality um, are kind of baked in being an artist and an educator. And, mm -hmm. and I also love writing. So just whenever things have happened to me in life that are, that are big, I process them visually and through writing. Mm -hmm. And I always have this desire to sort of take, take the limes and make limeade or right. so to speak. Right. Um, and, and to, to turn what I've been through into a teaching experience that I can share for others. So I think writing these Writing and illustrating these books sort of was a natural outgrowth of how I process life. I mean, it seems natural from you from the inside out. Now, speaking to someone with that, that can't draw for crap or anything, you know, <laughs> these are skills. I mean, I just play the piano and I can write, but I, you know, this is a whole. Uh, the, I mean, I, just to name one example, I mean, there's in your book, um, which is about your experiences with Lyme disease. Um, just to name one example, of course, there's the, there's the title, there's the cover uh, for Cloister Walk, walk. Um, but then you have um, in here, um, I wish the audience could see some of these because they're, they're, really, they're really on a very, a very high level. 
um, you know, the mindsets that you talk about you in different stages of your life. You did the mindsets before your, before your changes. And then, and then um, the last six months, I mean, was it, was you say it was inside of your family? Of course you were essentially, it felt natural coming, you know, having the family that you had where people were creative, right? Where people could yeah. draw and could illustrate, but where, where, what, uh, tell me where Inlochen fits into that, if, if at all, and, when, and you know, when that would have been. And Well, Interlochen is a wonderful thing to bring up because at the time I was at Interlochen, you had to declare a major in one art area. Mm -hmm. So I chose music because oh. actually I knew I couldn't teach myself to play the clarinet, whereas the writing and the artwork, I already was doing that for years, and I didn't really want direction with that. And when I was at Interlochen, the thing that one of the things that fascinated me most was how all the different art areas go together. Mm -hmm. And I remember one time being in a clarinet lesson and having Doc Kowalski explain about centering the tone right. and coming from the depths of the core of your abdomen. And I remember thinking, wow, that's just what my ballet teacher said this morning and that's what my ceramics teacher said yesterday mm -hmm. so this is all about getting balanced and centered and and so noticing those threads of connection between different modes of expression and how it would even feed your whole kind of worldview or, or way to navigate life that those connections were really what fascinated me and I love that I could be friends with people from different um art specialty areas and people from all over the world. And mm -hmm. yeah, Interlochen was probably one of the most formative aspects of my um, career as a writer, author, and educator today. Yeah, I would agree with that. For my illustrator. Speaking for myself, it's similar. Um, what year would that have been? And did you go by Bacow or did you have another name that you... I was Emily Gloger and I started in 80... I went from 81 to 85, so one of the four-year students, one of the lucky ones. I think I have the yearbook in front of me. I'm going to look look at it now and see, look it up here. Um, I, yeah, so it's so you were a music major without even, you know, on a show, oftentimes artists have had many different careers, but that, that changes everything, of course, for me because, you know, I don't, um, it seems to me a, 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 a world of difference Um clarinet and drawing on paper maybe not as you say it's all connected but this is quite a change from what i would i would have ex remembered you maybe as an illustrator as an art major but no you were a clarinet yeah and, i also had the advantage of having a doc i'm getting some weird feedback in my phone sorry i had the advantage of having private clarinet lessons with doc kowalski and i swear we spent half of our time actually discussing things that you know, Buckminster Fuller and geodesic domes and yeah. how these different things connected and how would you visualize a week or a month and mm. synesthesia, the mm. crossing over of different, like what does music look like if you're hearing it and yeah. what does it feel? And so all of those things were really what lit me up. I certainly remember Kowalski. I remember, I mean, not well, you know, I was in the jazz department and that really was its own you know, the yeah. worlds were kind of separate. I mean, I, of course, I knew classical classical people. and Yeah, it, and yet, yet all of the different students there did feel like being part of a family. I still think of people as almost like a sibling because we went through so much of the same daily life experience. What do you, at do you make of that now? Because, you know, again, I was talking to Coleman Reboy. I don't know if you remember him. I had him on the show. 
I've had Quinn Lemley on the show. I haven't. Um, yeah. uh, but but, but Coleman was um, very adamant that for some kids it was kind of a drag. I mean, those kids that were very car oriented, you know, it was a big thing in the 70s and 80s yeah. to get your first car. And there was a sense of isolation because you were stuck on the campus. Sure. For me as a real yeah. dyed in the wall urban New Yorker city slicker. <laughs> that's who I am. You know, to me, that was a non-issue. It's like, well, I didn't have a car anyhow. I never drove anyhow. So, you know, right. it's fine. But was that was that a thing for you? Or was that because that's something he pointed out that there was some students. Wrestled. Well, I came from a very poor um, area in Michigan with a very poor public school mm-hmm. in all senses of the word. Right. And so for me, going to Interlochen was like this major airlift into the international scene and getting to meet people like you from big cities and far away. So I didn't mind that there were pine trees and water all over the place. I loved that. It it seemed like a really nurturing setting for me. I mean, I'm really um, excited to hear this because I think your experience, I mean, of course, our backgrounds are very different. I I certainly, you know, didn't grow up in a, in a, in a poor part of Michigan. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not from Lansing or, 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 um, Flint or any place like that. Um, on the other hand, I, I did meet a lot of people like yourself who were from the Midwest. A lot of the students, I think, you know, like were from, from states like Ohio, right? Indiana. Yep. Again, I think because of the location of the school in part, right? The geography. And yeah. It? Yeah. There, there is one illustration in my book, um, and the book is called um, In the Limelight, Portraits of Illness and Healing. Mm-hmm. And it was actually in starting to go into treatment, my um, Lyme doctor said, you know, you like to do drawing and painting. Why don't you try to do some of that to, you know, bring a little life force energy into you? And it was through diving into exploring art on my own in a kind of art therapy way that I actually figured out that I had had um, Lyme my junior, the summer between my junior and senior year at Interlochen. And I remember how different my senior year was there. I went from threatening to get a seat in the orchestra in an an audition Mm -hmm. at the end of my junior year to really being at the bottom of the third row in the band, which, you know, it was a great band, but that was pretty much of a big fall. And I remember there was some talk that maybe I was having senioritis and not able to focus and Mm -hmm. kind of losing my edge. And I kept thinking in my head, like, what is wrong with me? I can't read music. I can't focus. I'm tired all the time. I feel, you know, achy bones. I feel neurological symptoms, like I'm going crazy. I'm starting to get like manic depressive, but it feels very physical. It comes and goes. Hmm. So it wasn't until I was in my um, late 40s that I really realized what had been going on. And I was able to um, make an illustration about that, showing some music I used to be able to play fluently. And then the disintegration of that ability. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the images in that book, because the whole point of that book Mm-hmm. was to show people that didn't have Lyme what we were going through and to make it sort of visceral, like a coffee table book guide to, like an insider's guide, like here's what it feels like, here's here's a metaphor for how it feels like. Mm-hmm. And 
it ended up really, um, it started off as an art show with captions and then all the people that came with Lime and saw it, they said, wow, this is speaking for me. Could you make this into a book? And that's the origin of that project. Um, I was yep. just uh, um, going to ask you, I mean, you did this extraordinary book, uh, the first, my first introduction to, the, to, to this work is our last six months. Before we get to that, if, uh, you know, people in the audience are unfamiliar with Lyme, I mean, I have a, I have a friend that has Lyme disease myself, a couple. What, what exactly, how would you begin to de- evoke or describe that, um, that in terms of its origins and, its, and, and anything you want to say about it? Um, there's a movie called Under Our Skin. I would recommend that. And there's the movie, there's a book called Bitten, which I would recommend. Mm-hmm. And um, I could talk for hours about it. I have mm-hmm. counseled thousands of people as a patient advocate. Yeah. I would just, if, the soundbite I would give out right now is it's a multi-symptom disease that can affect any organ in the body and present in a multitude of different ways depending on the person, mm-hmm. but a lot of it has to do with inflammation. Right. I know from talking to people with long COVID that there's a lot of crossover mm-hmm. when the immune system is completely overwhelmed. Um, so there's a lot of similarity and symptoms with that. Mm-hmm. Similarity and symptoms with chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia. Right. Um, PTSD, <laughs> and you can um, not only get it from ticks, but you can pass it to other people. Oh. That's now known. Oh, I um, and and the I just try to go where I'm not going to get bit by a tick, right. and just try to avoid that. Is this a, a, a and it's mm-hmm. go ahead? I'm sorry. Yeah, and and to get decent treatment, a person is going to need to contact whatever the Lyme support group is in their state, Mm -hmm. usually run and administered by fellow Lyme patients. And then through the grapevine, they can find out which doctors are actually treating it because you typically, if you have a... a, um, If it isn't caught in the acute stage and it becomes chronic, you're probably going to need a lot more treatment than your regular doctor is going to give. So you want to get yourself into a Lyme literate community and find a Lyme literate or at least a Lyme aware doctor that can do uh, treating on a whole lot of different levels at once. It might mean from, in my case, it was antibiotics for almost three years along with dietary changes and uh, all kinds of other support, which is why I wrote a book about it, because I had so much to say about it. So, Well, you wrote two books. I don't have, I only have book two. So you were referring earlier to book one, which I think was the... Uh, yeah, the original book is in the limelight. The second book is in the limelight too. Right. Because I added an addendum after mm-hmm. three more years of experience, getting into more of the psycho-spiritual elements of, of the healing journey. So. Well, I'm I, I very. I, what I am aware of, and I'm not aware of a lot, because I am not. I am um, very much. Uh, if I had to describe myself, I am the opposite of a medical maven. I am somebody that is is very uh, not not um, sim- not um, well versed in human anatomy and biology and all the rest of it. It's just not one of my big topics, you know. Um, but I am aware of it, of course, and I know that. So, so what? 
from what I understand, although I understand there's been some resistance in the traditional medical world to Lyme, learning about Lyme, correct? And this is part of your struggle or... Yeah, it's, I, to, to, make it, to make a very, very giant story <laughs> into a short point, yeah. Lyme is as political as it is biological. And as soon as you start to go get treatment, you'll start to be inducted into the uh, society of people who have been through it and seen it and can explain to you what it is you're up against. Um, similar to people with... Um, long COVID who are finding a hard time getting doctors to acknowledge or to treat them. There's, there's as much politics as there is um, science behind, mm-hmm. behind Lyme. And also Lyme is complicated because that's just a catchphrase. Each tick could be carrying. It's more common to get multiple diseases from a tick bite than it is to just get Lyme. So mm. um, Babesia and Bartonella are on the rise. Um, and there's others, and, and each of these um, can really take a person down. Mm-hmm. And the book Bitten gets into how there was biowarfare being developed. Uh, um, it's it's using Freedom of Information Act to procure papers on the development of um, vector-borne diseases that could be disseminated through ticks, through mosquitoes, and research done to say how many different bacteria, viruses, other microorganisms can we superload the guts of these um, creatures with without actually killing them. Mm. Um, And, yeah, there's there's a lot of – if somebody wants to go digging, Bitten is a good place to start. Well, I, I recommend that to to our audience. Certainly, the the book is bitten. Um, so, is this coming out of the Cold War and some of the more? Um, do- I'm not enough. I it's been two years since I read that book, so I'm not an authority to speak on that. I will just say that I made my book as a sort of opener of discussions, mm-hmm. and I have an extensive um, reference in the back of of. Um, like a reading list, and I mentioned movies, books, organizations that people can get more information out of. Mm-hmm. And um, so, I don't want to speak as an authority really on the on the history and development of Lyme as much as to say the patient's perspective is what I felt was the most valuable mm-hmm. at the time that I published my books. There was so much controversy about whether there even was a thing called chronic Lyme or, or long-term yeah. Lyme. And so part of my whole operation was to create a book that was not trying to enter on the level of um, a scientific mm-hmm. debate. Right. It was simply saying, well, you might say this does or doesn't exist, but here's my experience. Take it or leave it. Here's some pictures. You know, read through this. See what you think. And so I was kind of entering under the radar of all of the big debate and saying, "Oh, here's this, you know, art book." And so it actually was able to make really big waves. And I got invited to many Lyme conferences as a speaker, and mm-hmm. um, I put the artwork into various libraries and. I still have it in boxes in my closet yep. in case there's any place that wants to have the paintings come around for a live show. So when you say your closet, you're in Maine currently, right? Yeah, I'm in Bar Harbor, Maine. Bar Harbor, Maine. 
very beautiful part of the U.S. Um, so I um, want to maybe talk a little bit more about Lyme. Would you say that you were in part an activist because of your experience vis-a-vis -vis an activist on behalf of other, of other patients or other um, I would say that. I would say that as I became aware of my condition and that it wasn't just me having a stressful life or me not coping well or me not trying hard enough, you know, when it feels like you're riding a bicycle and everybody else is on the freeway. <laughs> right. um, as I learned more and I recognized how much I didn't know and how much I hadn't even been warned what to do and not do, mm -hmm. I thought, wow, somebody's got to speak up and say this. And so there's the, there's the educator in me looking for, okay, now I've learned this. What can I do with this? Mm -hmm. So um, I've tried to maintain a tone, not of accusation towards any parties, but right. simply to be a information. I point to information and I don't really want to go back to fielding free calls like, a mm -hmm. hundred a year. I, that's like basically every three days getting a contact from somebody on a telephone call or email or Facebook message saying, I think I have this. Can you help? And, and I, I wrote the book kind of to take the place of that voice. And I would just point people towards their local line community. Mm -hmm. In a way I've moved on from that. I put a whole decade of volunteer work. That was my several hours a day volunteer work. Um, for about a, a decade and and I am focusing more on teaching art and fostering people's creativity right. um, and then I was able to do the second book as a graphic memoir which was a, a dream I always had to make a more of a comic book style so uh, you, you're referring to the six months correct Yes, our our last six, oh, last months. six months. Yeah, so I wanted to talk about that a little bit. How that? Well, of course, it's a it's a it's a it's a, it's autobiography. It's your life, right? Um, yeah. Once again. <laughs> um, but you know, I was again. I'm very impressed. So if you look at the Limelight book, and then you look at your our last six months, which is much more stylistically, it's very different. It yeah. almost has almost a, you know, kind of an Eileen Crum Spiegelman type of. Um, oh, thank you. Well, no, no more, but just I mean stylistically. So. Yeah, yeah. Or Diary of a Teenage Girl, if you know that graphic novel, it has that kind of yep. thick kind of textured black and charcoal, black and white feeling to it. So I'm very impressed. I should say, and maybe this is something you take for utterly for granted, maybe not. As an outsider and a connoisseur of art, I'm very impressed at your stylistic shift in these two different books. I mean, you you were you know, these are these are yeah. completely, completely different styles of um, um, both medium and expression. Yet it's all illustration. Um, yeah, I, I've always had the. It's kind of like having the ability on an instrument to play in a number of different modalities. You might play orchestral. Okay. You might play jazz there's different eras of jazz mm -hmm. and so i feel like i have um i'm fortunate to have the ability to tune into different illustration styles depending on what it is i'm working on one of the things i do for actual money is do um high-end landscape design work or 
rather I work for a company that does the designs and then I do the, the drawings so I can do very realistic sketches of what your garden is going to look like if you from your living room couch or that kind of thing. And you continue to do that. That's one of your, one of your jobs, right? Yeah. I can hone is in that, on whatever. That, um, you, is that both commercial and residential or is that mainly, or is that? Um, it's all um, residential. It's all yeah. residential. Okay. Um, that's a, that's a very, that's almost close to the world of, um, oh, I don't know, archi architecture and, um, you know, yeah. design. It's a, yeah. When you go, when you go through four years of landscape architecture, um, grad school with your partner, you pick up a few things on the way and, um, we're divorced now, but I still work okay. with Dennis Burkale on his, my, my daughter's, um, dad. Okay. He still throws me plenty of work. So that's so you got you got a, you got a degree in landscape. Uh, he got he got a degree in landscape architecture, and I. Okay. I may have I may I may have done a few of you know I may have, I may have supported him in some of his uh, wire trees and adding people to some of the mm -hmm. cross section views. <laughs> so. Well, I, I I you know I didn't know if it was time to talk about. Um, uh, your book on uh, six months on cancer and mortality. I would, I would love to talk about that. Um, I, I, fi I figured you would. It's, um, it's just, it's a book that feels like it could have been. And again, I'm new to it because I just read it, Fre fresh having read it and gone through all the panels, and, and I'm just, um, it's just quite a book. I can't recommend it more highly. Uh, audiences that get this, um, our last six months by Emily Burkell. Um, do you, what do you want to say about it? I mean, there's a lot to talk about, whether in terms of... Uh, Boy, the uh, first thing I want to say is I want to thank uh, Jackie Davis Wickham for um, really encouraging me because I was I was going through this really hard time. Um, my, my son's dad, um, who I was divorced from, mm -hmm. we found out he had cancer the year my son was 12 turning 13. And, or maybe it was 13 turning 14. In any case, um, very rapidly, I found myself down in the caregiver role and healthcare advocate role. Yeah. And being as I was on Facebook, also, I was starting to make posts, as one does, about what one is going through. Mm -hmm. And it was Jackie who reached out to me and said, thank you so much for sharing so candidly about this. Mm -hmm. It's information that's new to me. It's really helpful. Questions of end of life care and what patients and their families are facing, what the decisions are. You know, you might want to save these Facebook posts to turn into a book or, or an article someday. And that really was a very kind um, gesture on her part because it validated um, that my writing was useful because I was trying to not only report, here's what I'm going through, but I was trying to not do it in a very kind of maudlin, morose way. I was trying to be like, okay, here's what I'm going through and here's what that's like in case anybody else is trying to navigate that, you know, here's, here's what you're going to face. And we don't really talk about death and dying very much in this culture. Mm -hmm. It's it's kind of taboo. Mm -hmm. um, and another part of the uh, origin of, it's, of um, hold, hold yes? on. so you said it's taboo, but of course the uh, 
interestingly enough, in the world of the arts, as you know, that's one of the central themes. Certainly, certainly, right. in, certainly in dramaturgy and uh, literature and novel, the novel and mass market movies, all on poetry. That it's 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 all never never far from the cent- central. Exactly, uh, central because thing. we artists. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter which form of art we're expressing through, we are tapping into life, life being lived, the human experience. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we're we can't help but notice these things. So of course it becomes mm-hmm. part of what we express about. So another of my another part of the origin of that book was I had read a book by Rod Chast called "Can't We Talk About Something More Pleasant." And it's her experience being middle-aged and needing to suddenly take care of her parents at the end of their lives. Yeah. And I literally went to that as a reference book mm-hmm. while I was down in the depths with um, Aubrey. Mm-hmm. And I checked it out of the library to reread to say, okay, oh, it's okay if I get angry about this? Oh, this is a thing you have to figure out about, like, nursing home care? Okay. Yeah. And and the reason I went to that book is because it covered these very serious topics with cartoons. Mm-hmm. So that really was a way for me to not be scared and go in and learn more about this. Um, I'm sure that there are other books that I could have gone to, but I really was so comforted by looking at pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like to say that that my book would sit right between Roz Chast's memoir and Atul Gawan's book, Being Mortal, because I'd also just read that. Mm-hmm. And that talks about illness medicine and what matters in the end. That's the subtitle. Mm-hmm. So I felt like I wanted to create something that would add to the discussion and be an icebreaker to get people talking about mm-hmm. um, these things. So, so, so consciously deciding to make it a graphic memoir instead of a written text right right um well that that certainly makes all the difference i mean that that makes it its own its own um totally unique um i I should say that my late dad who died in 2011 his his name was aubrey it's kind of it was interesting to Ah. to 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 read this name this i guess it's the name of your of your um of the real real life name uh, yeah for you um, I'm just, yeah, I changed everybody's names except for his. Uh, for some reason, I just really needed to keep that intact. Everybody needs an anchor in life. You, me, just everybody. Anchor made this whole show possible. I'm immensely grateful to them. You too can use Anchor to make your own shows and create your own vision. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Is there any, any um, things you want to speak to in, t- in terms of diff- different chapters, like, for example, um, fundraiser, um, uh, cheers to the bus sure. driver? I mean, these are all – I'm just I'm – just, these are um, – uh, chapters in your book or, or unclear thinking parables. And that reminds me of your other book a little bit. Uh, that is a line book um, about yeah. children and kind of the, some, some of the, some of the unclear and clear thinking and the spiritual dimension of your work. But I, I don't want to get too far ahead, whatever comes to your mind or your. Yeah. Um, 
The book is basically set up in seven chapters, and then within each chapter, there are little little vignettes that are two or three pages long that could be read as a little story in themselves. And um, one of them is called Of Wills and Willpower. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's Fundraiser Supper. Um, there's Infusion Confusion. <laughs> so... Um, the way that the book rolled out of my pen was I sat down each day and got into a sort of meditative, receptive listening state and said, you know, I'm here, what's next? Mm. And so I created it chronologically, mm-hmm. um, using a lot of the data that I had saved from the experience and as it was developing, I was I was experiencing it as sort of a ride, kind of in the way that sometimes a podcast takes you, takes you places. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would be in the middle of writing, and I'd think, okay, here we come to a really serious part. Mm-hmm. And and then I would write about that, and that was actually pretty cathartic because it made me look back to whatever I had gone through. Mm-hmm. And then the next day I'd sit down and I'd, I'd reread to the place I'd left off and I'd say, okay, so that was really a dark chapter. Let's add some more levity in the next one so that people don't kind of get too bummed out to keep reading this book. Right. And so you turn the page and there's something humorous or something about how daily life goes on in spite of cancer and death. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was really acutely aware of the tone and uh, and it also felt very musical to me mm-hmm. in the sense of you're composing a piece of music that takes the listener on a journey and into different emotions, a, a ride. And so, so it was really fun to create something where I was on the ride creating it and I was mm-hmm. creating something that would give somebody else a ride or a journey to go on sort of um, empathetically traveling with us down into it. That's beautifully. So the subtitle, mm-hmm. the subtitle of the book really tells every key word that's in it. It says an illustrated memoir about death, cancer, end of life care, love, family, and forgiveness. So mm-hmm. I decided to really just make it pretty clear on the outside what it's about. And uh, do you, do you want to say more about um, your own um, perceptions or experiences with? Um, any of those topics on that subtitle, whether it's cancer or whether it's, um, well, nature of forgiveness, forgiveness, some one wonders for what and of what. And of course that's, <laughs> that's, uh, well, I mean, yeah. but people, people, I mean, I should say, um, I'm psychologically wired very differently than most people. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm always, I'm always surprised, um, at how it, people are often very, have very powerful, negative responses to things people do right mm-hmm. that do not bother me like if i were in their shoes i would not be as offended and, and so that's mm-hmm. probably my own autism i'm sure but it's it or vice versa the things that um people are indifferent to i think are, are world or just are, are, are world events so i guess it's a, i think it's very unique i'm not sure there's a one size fits all but put, having having said all of that um um 
anything you're the author so what do you want to talk about first in terms of those those key what you call oh my we could talk for hours on this um let's see jumping right in one thing that came up that i ended up incorporating as a theme into the book is forgiveness Mm -hmm. but i was without stating it out loud anywhere in the book i was living through and demonstrating the practice of the principles of A Course in Miracles, which um, teaches me to look upon what's happening as a dream that I'm dreaming mm-hmm. and to forgive it because it's just a dream and to desire to see the other person as completely innocent, a complete innocent child of God who is one with me and that they are acting out a role in a script that was Mm pre-programmed and um, it's nobody's fault what's happening. We're just trying to walk each other home. And the fastest way home is to forgive what appears to be happening and to go back into the sort of Christ mind or Buddha mind or Mm -hmm. um, beginner's mind and just say, okay, what, what can I learn here? What can I do to be of help? What can I do to extend love? And it also teaches that anything that looks like it needs forgiving is kind of boils down to a call for love. So everything is either an expression of and an extension of love or it's Mm -hmm. a call for love. Now, when you're actually putting these things into practice, it doesn't mean that you're not going through very, very human dramas of getting really mad, sad, upset, Mm -hmm. grieving. It's just more about how I'm processing internally what is going on. And so in this, in this case, um, the whole book, part of the magic of this book for me was that I had been through taking care of Aubrey, seeing him through death's doorstep, dealing with all the paperwork and technical details afterwards. And I was so mad at him. I was so mad for a variety of reasons. Yeah. Um, which I'm not going to get into (laughs) because it is past. And as I was in the car driving up to the crematorium to pick up his ashes, I was talking into my mind to what I just abbreviate as HS, higher spirit, holy self. I mean, higher, higher, higher self, holy Mm -hmm. spirit, you know, divine wisdom, whatever you want to call it. Mm Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm so mad. I don't even know how to be with people because they're all grieving him and praising him. And I'm just so stuck on these points because I had to be doing all the dirty work with him yeah. at the end. And and I had a 12-year relationship with him that wasn't all roses. So, like, how am I going to manage? And the idea for the arc of the book just came in fully baked. Right. And, and it included the arc of the forgiveness. That- and making it okay for people to be upset about their dying or dead loved one rather than having to put them up on a pedestal and pretend like everything was great and the person was just a saint. Um, I wanted to give permission for people to feel anything they were feeling. Mm -hmm. But I also had a sense of absolute complete resolution in in that vision for the book. And here's the really cool part. So before Aubrey died, I had helped him out financially, and he always said, I will pay you back even if it's over my dead body. Oh, okay. And so 
I didn't know I was going to write a book until after he had passed. Mm. I went ahead, made the book, spent the next eight months in the vault of my of my cloistered upstairs bedroom mm-hmm. studio, generating about a page a day, five hours a day, um, and put the book out. And then thought maybe I should just apply for you know some kind of an award just for kicks. I got in on the last day of, of one of these competitions. And then later the next spring, I found out I had won the grand prize out of all the different categories um, for this book. And the combination of that prize money plus the proceeds from selling the book actually exactly paid back the loan. So it goes right back so, to Aubrey's statement. Aubrey's um, very explicit. exactly, and you're exactly you're saying that it, it all it all was paid up and all came back. Absolutely, and, all, and, and that goes back to, of course, that 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 in itself is a court is a miracle, of course, and a miracle. It would seem to me very much, and that that very much uh, that's very. I'm very happy. I should say you're very articulate. I have a lot of. Um, I'm always happy with every guest on my show, but they 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 very very wide wi- widely and wildly, in terms of their mm-hmm. articulation, you know, in terms of how they speak. But you're extremely, uh, you're very, and probably it's from the experience of being an advocate. I think probably also you're an educator, so you're you're yep. really you're really practiced in speaking. It's very yep, it's and very a, helpful and a classroom teacher. Well, but I think where it comes from now, I used to prepare and angst for hours about something like this, like I would have written notes and memorized them and timed myself and said, here are the top 10 things I make sure I say. And now I pretty much just show up and I say, hi, spirit, holy self, here I am. It's your podcast. It's your mouth. It's your words. It's your circus. You you tell me what needs to be said and, and here I am. And then stuff just flows and I feel like life is much, much easier that way. Um, well, it's certainly as as an improvising musician, um, and I actually a lot of this podcast. It's funny because I do plan some things for my podcast, but I mm-hmm. equally or more so do the improvising system, which is what's most comfortable with me, and it's certainly not stressful. Which is to leave it up to the spirit of the moment in the um, yeah in the, yeah, and I think we could describe this in a completely non spiritual, non religious term of just saying I feel that when. Yeah. When artists feel a sense of inspiration, that is exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's the inner, it's that inner inspiration and just showing up to be available and going with the improvisation, going with the flow, um, that being in the flow, being in the zone. It's, it's all, it's all the same thing. And we work on cultivating ways to access that, whether it's through a spiritual practice or a, psychological practice or neurofeedback or right. whatever. If you don't mind me asking when, when you, when you're doing a uh, panel or an illustration, not, not so much the more, shall we say objective thing for hire for someone's house, but something personal like this, is there something, do you mind sharing your, your actual process of what you do in the moment or what you, whether it's materials or, or draft boards or yeah. whatever, whatever. Um, my preferred mediums to work with are pen and ink and watercolor. And I sometimes add in oil pastel and, and pencil. 
Um, I chose to do the illustrations for our last six months in black and white because it seemed to fit that um, subject context, but also it's cheaper to reproduce and it's more um, kind of universal. Huh. Uh, but I love watercolor painting. I teach that. I teach plein air watercolor classes in the summer. Um, I have a side a side gig called Paint Your Own Main Memory that tourists can come and sit with me by the ocean for two hours, and I take absolute beginners. I love teaching beginners. Mm-hmm. Um, I love reassuring people that they're going to be able to make something beautiful, just giving them step-by-step instructions. So. I always admire people like yourself who enjoy educating. And, and, and it's not something, I mean, there's a reason I don't teach school. There's many reasons. Um, I am doing this podcast, but there's just a lot of things involved with um, relating to other people, right? Mm-hmm. That for me or would be much more of a challenge than, say, for you. Um, so I, I think part of, you know, I'm going to be 55 in a month. I think part of... Um, Living yeah, welcome to the club. Well, <laughs> I'm there. I'm there. Well, yeah, I think part of living is deciding what you're good and not good at, or what you or what you're willing to do or not willing to do. But I, I sometimes I feel a little bit not. I don't think the word is guilty. That's yep. not the word. Not well, the word. But I do feel a little. I know so many people that really love this education thing, and I always feel think to myself, yeah. well, I'm not like them. I hope they think I'm okay because I'm not into. I don't like children. I don't like kids. You know, I hope they wouldn't be too hard, horrified. We're all different, right? So, <laughs> yeah, being honest about our how to deal with all my teacher friends that I feel like I don't live up to their, their yeah, that that brings about another kind of miracle story that that just happened uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, I had been a teacher in public schools, private Waldorf schools, uh, wow. camps. It's a lot, and and at home tutoring and teaching. And I had taken a giant hiatus from um, classroom work. And I was just doing the self-employed at home work. And I had some doubts about whether I was really being of enough value, especially since what teachers have been through in the pandemic. I know there's a lot of burnout and I really felt like, like maybe I should go back into the trenches and bring some fresh blood. And so I applied and got quickly accepted for a part-time job as a teacher's aide. Mm -hmm. And I only lasted two half days because Mitch, when I was back in the classroom, I felt so out of place. I Mm. felt like, okay, I've been here. I've done that. This is not where I'm supposed to go back. I've I've already learned the lessons. I've learned the sole lessons I had to learn through being in the situation. Mm -hmm. And this is completely incompatible. Mm-hmm. And so I face the shame of quitting versus the distress right. of staying there. And and I and I resigned at the end of the second day and I had this prayer of okay, so I gave it a shot. Mm-hmm. Now what? And the very next day, out of the blue, after no hits for for months, I got a I got a text in the morning from someone I'd never met saying, somebody gave me your book our last six months. I'm the best friend of one of the characters. I love this book. Thank you so much. Oh, wow. Then around noon, I got a Facebook message 
from Jackie, and then she hooked me up with you, Excellent. and you wanted to do a podcast Absolutely. about this book. Absolutely. And then in the evening, I went out to my first live art show since the pandemic started to wane, and I was schmoozing with people, and some lady was making really strong eye contact with me who I didn't know, and I'm looking at her thinking, do I know her? Should I know her? And she finally came up to me, and she said, are you Emily Raquel? Mm-hmm. I've always wanted to meet you and thank you for this book. Our last six months, I I think and you know I'm a alternative healer and I do think of death and dying a lot and mm-hmm. it's not popular to talk about, but I just love your book. Can I give you a hug? And it was like, okay, there's a there's a theme here today. <laughs> Absolutely. And so by the end of the day, it was like being given this sort of knighthood or this sort of like sanctifying like yes please honey keep doing the writing and the painting and the illustrating and the book work and I got two new art feeds that day just bam out of the blue and by the end of the week I was up to 11 just through word of mouth so so I'm back where I was three weeks ago but with Mm -hmm. so much more conviction that it's where I'm supposed to be and what I'm supposed to be doing so that's remarkable. I mean, all this coming together is um, is um, I'm happy that Jackie we contacted and contacted you because we have this right now. This beautiful episode comes. Yeah, and I now. love and I love that your podcast. You set the you set the net so wide you can catch a lot of different stories. I think that's marvelous. Well, that's on purpose. I mean, again, I should say even though I love sharing like your book, saying get Emily Brock Bacal's book. And I love sharing information about art I love. So that part of education, of course, I love. The part I decided not to take part in was the more institutional faculty politics, dealing mm-hmm. dealing with children who are not my favorite. That's not my favorite uh, stage of life, I should say. Yep. I, I'm not yep. a parent. I've never had kids. And that, that's not – all that's by design. But um, it's, um, it's, kind of, it's kind of exciting um, – to talk with you, and I and I sort of I I am very moved uh, to to play you some music now for some reason. All right, uh, go for it. Uh, sometimes a guest, uh, I want to try to capture a guest in music. And in mm. I'm not going to do it this second I, because I wanted to ask you a little bit more. You, you've mentioned twice in, on this episode that uh, there's a ta- still you believe a taboo around death. Um, do you want to talk more about what that consists of or how to liberate from that or any, any, any things that come to mind? I mean, this is of course, as they say, a law, a law of taxation and, um, mm-hmm. some other things that it, there's a universality to it. Yeah. I, I think one of the problems that people face in the, in this time in our culture is there's such a, I think some of the new age movement positive power of positive thinking. I'm not naming any books or authors or teachers. I'm just saying there's this idea that if you focus on something negative, you're going to manifest more of it or attract it to you. And so there's this disdain for, or this fear and needing to stay away for Mm -hmm. from it. Like, and it may even be a very deep um, human urge to, to not, engage in thinking about what's what's uncomfortable i see um for as antidotes i guess i've grown up 
exploring different religious and spiritual traditions on my own. Absolutely. And I've come across so many different references to life after death. And my most recent mm-hmm. favorite book is Anita Morjani's book, Dying to Be Me, which is all about her chronicle of um, going into a coma and dying while she had cancer yeah. and then having a really extended near-death experience oh, wow. and coming back very filled with um, information of what, what she learned on the other side. And then her story came to light. Dr. Wayne Dyer featured her on, on mm. and, and got her book published. Yep. So it's she's now speaking all over the world. And that's just one example, but, right. but I've run across references to life after death and mm-hmm. having a spiritual identity that, or an energetic identity that, that mm-hmm. survives beyond the physical. Right. Um, and the idea that we're spiritual beings, having a physical experience, having a human experience. Mm-hmm. So, so I'm no longer in a place of ambivalence or, or doubt about that. I'm absolutely certain that, right. that there's more going on. And mm-hmm. um, I'm also, a fan of um, people's awakening experiences mm. and, and hearing people talk about waking up out of this um, kind of mortal 3d yeah. reality and seeing that there's something beyond that and, right. and being able to speak from that and teach from that and, and embody that. So, so I know that there's more to life than just the mortal coil and the, yeah. and, and I, I have to kind of, be careful sometimes because like if somebody dies who's close to me, I'm more likely to think, wow, cool. They got a passport to that country and, you know, I hope they hold the door open for me. I I hope I get to go there. And, and I, it's more like I I'm here left to be in this very heavy body on this earth plane doing the work. And I'm, I'm, I'm just a little bit jealous. Rather than seeing it as a tragedy, I'm just a little bit jealous. Mm. But it always makes me go back and say, okay, so I am still embodied. What yeah. else am I supposed to be working on here? You know, let me get on with it, including appreciating the beauty of, of life and all that there is to appreciate. So, Well, Emily, that's, uh, that's, there's so much uh, in what you just said. I, um, all of it, I, I, I should say, you know, I, I Full disclosure, I, I don't really talk a lot, a lot on the show about my own beliefs, if I can help it, um, mainly because, you know, I don't, don't want to distract people from the, you know, from the, uh, the uniqueness of every guest. But um, I've said this before, but I am not a – I'm certainly no – in no way, shape, or form any kind of a scientific materialist. And, and, and uh, mm-hmm. I, 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 <laughs> I kind of picked that up. <laughs> yeah, I'm very open to a lot of things. Without, of course, filling in what I'm open to with any specific content in terms of in terms of mm-hmm. this um, show, but I think I uh, I think I might play a little something, hopefully not too long, and see what you think of it. I haven't done this. So usually, I do this when we're doing video with a guest. Mm-hmm. I haven't done it with audio only, so this is a, this is will be a different. Um, are you ready? I am ready. Hey.
Something like that. I don't know what I'm doing. Oh, I was smiling the whole time, Mitch. That was just so life. That was everything. <laughs> I'm happy to do that. You know, people in life do what they can. That's something I can do. So, uh. Totally. I think you're very empathetic, um, probably psychic, very tuned in. I, I very tuned in. I don't think I'm psychic. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't, that's a, that's a word I don't use, use them um, very lightly. Oh, do you, well, tuned, do you tuned, tuned in. You are, I yeah, felt very connected to what you, you were cons- playing. Do you consider yourself having clairvoyant capacities? I mean, do you see things and, and, and is that too big? A- um, not on a daily basis. I, I think that I get flashes of insight. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have, any one modality of higher sensory perception that really stands out at this time. Um, I've had, I've had moments of clear audience, clear sentience, but mm-hmm. I'm mostly just really sort of in the, it can be feel quite mundane. <laughs> I'm, I'm really in the five, five sensory world most of the time, mm-hmm. but, but where things come through to me is, um, Things like hearing a line of music or seeing the name on, well, a a story from this past week is I was with a friend um, having some conversations about some difficult things, Mm -hmm. but vowing to make the best of things. And I looked over and there was a boat next to us in a marina that we shouldn't have been in because we didn't have a boat there, the private marina, but hey, that's where we ended up having our picnic because that's where my car ended up when I got lost and I look over and there's this boat that says amazing grace right on it. Oh, wow. And then there was a sign, a banner over it from some company whose name is pursuit. So it was like pursuit of amazing grace. And I said, yeah, that's what we're both working on here. Mm -hmm. And she laughed and agreed. So, so that's the kind of thing that reaches me very like winks from the universe of, I see, I see you. Uh, so. Emily Bracal, that's um that's really uh beautiful. I should say before we go, the book is Our Last Six Months, and the other book is Lime Light, correct? Or in the, uh, in, in the limelight, in the portraits of illness and healing, illness and healing. And uh, before we conclude, is there anything you want to say to our audience that's particularly on your mind in this this time and whatever it is, it comes into your consciousness wow um i guess i would say pay attention to the little glimmers of um inspiration that you feel and instead of waiting for some big voice in the sky to boom out or some dynamic revelatory vision just pay attention to the little hunches where you feel like Hmm, that might be an interesting idea or, Oh yeah, maybe I'll go call that person. Cause if you start to follow those and, and I always experience them as an invitation, they're never like, you should call this person now. It's more like, Hey, you know, how'd you like to maybe do this book on this thing? And I'm like, Oh yes, that sounds really fun. How am I going to do it? Don't worry. We'll show you how. So just following those little those little nudges can really make a world of difference in getting some pretty cool projects out there, some some pretty cool moments of life. I think that's what I have to say. 
Well, thank you, Emily, for being on our show. And I hope you uh, enjoy the episode when it's released into the world. And uh, thank you for your generosity and spirit. And uh, have a good rest of the week. The same to you, Mitch. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I really appreciate what you're doing. Thank you. Okay, take care. I don't like goodbyes, so I'll see you soon, folks. Thank you.